Tonight, I want to look at a fascinating passage in Scripture that examines the creative arts, worship, and idolatry. The creative arts are used for the building of the tabernacle and its furnishings so that Israel can worship God. And in great contrast, creative arts are also used to make the golden calf so that Israel practices idolatry. As well, this week's readings speak about the creative and spiritual motivations of different kinds of people, some of which are concealed and all of which are revealed. I think this will be an interesting lesson for creative people in particular, but it can help all of us learn about being creative and spiritually honorable before God. Here's the background. Moses has ascended Mount Sinai. He's meeting with the Lord who gives him tablets of stone with God's instructions for Israel. Moses is gone for some 40 days, and that's where Exodus chapter 32 begins. Let's read. When the people saw that Moses was taking a long time to come down from the mountain. They gathered around Aaron and said to him, get busy and make us gods to go ahead of us. Because this Moses, the man that brought us up from the land of Egypt, we don't know what has become of him. The circumstance became an opportunity to do what had been hidden inside of the people's hearts. They wanted to make gods and idols to go ahead of them, and they were ready to change leadership. They, they felt Moses has gone too long, and we don't expect him to lead us anymore. We don't know what he's going to do. But what we do need is a God. We need an idol. So Aaron, you need to make that for us. And this circumstance of Moses having been gone for longer than they could have imagined was what gave opportunity for their hidden motivations to be revealed. They had a concealed desire to make an idol. Verse 2, Aaron said to them, have your wives, sons, and daughters strip off their gold earrings and bring them to me. The people stripped off their gold earrings and brought them to Aaron. He received what they gave him, melted it down, and made it into the shape of a calf. And they said, Israel, here is your God who brought you up from the land of Egypt. On seeing this, Aaron built an altar in front of it, and he proclaimed, tomorrow is to be a feast for Adonai. So they made an idol, even though God had already said to make no idols. And then they tried to mix the idolatry with worship, and they had a feast to the Lord. So they were worshiping the idol, but it was not pleasing to the Lord. He did not accept this as worship, even if it was a little misguided. No, for him, it was abhorrent and completely unacceptable. Verse 6, early the next morning, they got up and offered burnt offerings and presented peace offerings. And afterwards, the people sat down to eat and to drink, and then they got up to indulge in revelry, as some translations put it. To indulge in revel revelry, some understand this to be lewd and unclean behavior, including fornication, as in the worship of the god 
peor, taking the word that's used in Hebrew in the same sense as it's used by Potiphar's wife in Genesis 39 when she tried to seduce the patriarch Joseph. Exodus 20 verses 4 and 5 had already told us this, God had communicated to Israel, you shall have no other gods besides me. You shall not make for yourself a sculptured image or any likeness of what is in the heavens above or on the earth below or in the waters under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them or worship them. And one Jewish scholar writes that the image or a statue inevitably becomes endowed with divinity, and the representation is somehow ultimately identified with the deity itself. It's looked upon as the place and the presence of the deity and becomes the focus of veneration and worship. The created statue or image becomes the object which is worshipped. The prophet Isaiah would put it this way, the people worship things that they've made with their own hands. And in Psalm 106, verse 20, it makes this comment about the golden calf. They exchanged their glory for the image of an ox that eats grass. Now back to Exodus 32 and verse 7. Adonai said to Moses, go down, hurry, your people whom you brought up from the land of Egypt have become corrupt. So quickly they have turned aside from the way I ordered them to follow. They've cast the metal statue of a calf. They've worshipped it. They sacrificed to it. And they said, Israel, here is your God who brought you up from the land of Egypt. It's interesting. The Lord tells Moses what has happened. The Lord saw and heard all of this, and he accurately described it to Moses. So at the same point that the Lord was with Moses on the mountain, he was watching, he was listening, he was observing what the children of Israel were doing down below at the base of Mount Sinai. Verse 9, Adonai continued to speak to Moses, I have been watching these people. So he says, I've been watching or observing these people. And he says to Moses, you can see how stiff-necked they are. Now leave me alone so that my anger can blaze against them and I can put an end to them. I will make a great nation out of you instead. Now it's very subtle, but this is one of the ways that the Lord works. He presents an option to see what is in the heart of the person. In this case, he offers Moses a new option. He says, I'll make a great nation out of you instead of them. But here's what's so fascinating. Moses holds on to the heart of God, which is really this. God is faithful, and he wants us to be faithful. In fact, God wants to use the very ones he redeemed and delivered to become that great nation that he promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so the question is, what does Moses want? Because that's the nuance. The Lord is presenting this option, and I think it's to see what Moses wants. And this is what we find, that Moses is holding on to the faithfulness of God, even 
in the face of Israel's profound sin. So in this way, Moses is being tested, and the Lord is revealing what is in his heart, but in fact, there was nothing that was concealed in his heart. Moses still wants God to do what God said he would do. So Moses stands up for God's revealed will, and he wants what God has committed to. Moses has this opportunity to become the center of attention. God gives him the opportunity. He says, I'll make a great nation out of you instead of all of them. But what I notice is that Moses does not take that opportunity. For Moses, it's still unthinkable. He won't do it. And that, in fact, is one of the reasons why Moses is trusted by God, because Moses keeps God's interests in his heart. They don't change simply because of difficulty and because the circumstances around him may seem to present a whole new option. Moses wants what God had committed to, and he expresses that as a true intercessor and as a true man who's devoted to God. Verse 11, Moses pleaded with Adonai, his God. He said, Adonai, why must your anger blaze against your own people, whom you brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and a strong hand? Why let the Egyptians say it was with evil intentions that he led them out to slaughter them in the hills and wipe them off the face of the earth? Lord, turn from your fierce anger. Relent, O Lord. Don't bring such disaster on your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants to whom you swore by your very own self. You promised them, I will make your descendants as many as the stars in the sky. And I will give all this land I've spoken about to your descendants, and they will possess it forever. So Adonai changed his mind about the disaster he had planned for his people. So let me comment on that last verse about the Lord changing his mind. He relented. And this reveals something, that the plan, this option, was not settled in heaven. It was subject to the influence of intercession. Moses pleaded with God. The Lord was looking to see what was in Moses' heart, and Moses interceded on behalf of the people, and on behalf of the reputation of God. That's how the matter was settled. So the human part, Moses' part, was needed too. And that reminds me of that phrase, make every effort. You see, we have to hold on to the grace of God and the purposes of God, and we put our effort forward, in this case, through intercession and through holding on to what is truly the will of God. And I want to connect that now with the theme for tonight, the creative arts versus idolatry. One of the temptations of the artist, and by artist, I mean anyone who creates the sculpture, or goldsmith, or jeweler, the painter, the playwright, the novelist, whatever the media 
medium is that they use. One of the temptations of the creative person, the artist, is to create and then worship one's own creation. And it can become uh, something that spreads. And that's why modern art is sometimes um, a substitute for the spiritual life. And it's considered an uh, exalted form of human endeavor. And the attention given is, is, in many cases, in some cases at least, is worshipful. And so it can become misguided to create something and then to worship one's own creation. I'm not talking about admiring. I'm talking about worshiping it, to give one's total devotion to the very thing that one has just created. Well, I believe that skilled artists and craftsmen, craftspeople can create for the pleasure of creation, for the sake of creation, for its own sake. And they can even use what he or she created in service to God. It doesn't have to be religious, but it may be in service to God. And one example comes to mind in Exodus 25, verse 8, the Lord says, make for me a sanctuary that I may dwell with them. That was the scripture. It was a word that guided Sandy as she led the design and building process for our synagogue. The sanctuary at Beth Israel was created to be a place where God is worshipped. It's a place that serves the Lord. All the creative effort was devoted to the Lord. It was in service to the Lord. In Exodus 31, part of this week's portion, we read about the artistry of Bezalel and his team who are called to create the tabernacle of God and all its furnishings. Let's compare the artistry of the golden calf to the artistry of Bezalel and his team. So we'll read about Bezalel and we'll make that connection as we've already read some about the golden calf, but we'll read further. Exodus 31, starting in verse 1, Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom, in understanding, in knowledge, in all kinds of craftsmanship to create artistic designs for work in gold, in silver, and in bronze, and in the cutting of stones for settings, and the carving of wood, so that he may work in all kinds of craftsmanship. And behold, I myself have appointed with him Aholiab, the son of Ahisamach, of the tribe of Dan, and in the hearts of all who are skillful, I have put skill so that they may make everything that I have commanded you. So all the skill and all the creativity and all the artistry was in service to the Lord. And compare that to the artistry of the golden calf and the object itself that became an object of idol worship. And again, the scriptures 
comment on this so clearly. Isaiah 2.8 says, the people worship things they've made with their own hands. And Psalm 106, verse 20, which we read earlier, says they exchanged their glory for the image of an ox that eats grass. And so let's let's look further into Exodus 32, verse 19, because we want to look at the, the creativity and the outcomes of it. It says, it came about, this is the creativity that had to do with creating the idol, the golden calf, and um, let's see what the outcomes were. It came about as soon as Moses approached the camp from having come down from the mountain where he was with the Lord, that he saw the golden calf, he saw the people dancing, and Moses' anger burned, and he threw the tablets of stone from his hands and shattered them to pieces at the foot of the mountain. And then he took the calf, which they had made, and he completely burned it with fire and ground it to powder and then scattered it over the surface of the water and made the sons of Israel drink it. He made them drink it. So now Moses is angry. Earlier, the Lord was angry and Moses was trying to, uh, this is maybe not exact and precise, he was trying to calm the Lord down. What I mean is he was trying to bring peace to the Lord. At least that's what he thought he was doing. But now Moses is angry himself. He throws down the stone tablets and they're shattered. And verse 20, as we just read, says, Moses took the calf which they had made. He completely burned it with fire. He ground it to powder. He scattered it over the surface of the water, and he made the sons of Israel drink it. So this gold object, the idol, was completely rejected. It was unacceptable. It was made with precious metal, with gold. It was made using skilled artistry and sculpture and so forth, but it was unacceptable. Now, notice this. It wasn't recycled. It couldn't be used for God's purposes. It was corrupt and it was polluted. It was not considered an object of value, even though it was made of gold. It was an object of worship, that is false worship or idolatry. And Moses took incredible action. The people were treating the object as if it were God, and yet they made it, but then they worshiped it. And then it became God to them, just as we had read earlier. So what did Moses do? He proved that it was worthless and without any true holy power. It was not a magical object. Moses burned it, and then he ground it into powder, and then he scattered the powder on water, and then he made the people drink it. And that proved something. Moses was not afraid of this idol. He was disgusted with it. When the people drank it, the remnants, the dust of this idol went inside of them. It mixed with 
with what was already there in their intestines, let's be straight, and then they pooped it out later. And that outcome, they pooped it out, showed exactly what Moses thought of their idolatry and gave each person a terrible moment of reckoning because the idol became excrement and nothing more. Here's a closing thought. This is the people that God called. These are the ones that God delivered from Egypt. From this people would come some of those who would learn to be judges and leaders of Israel, who would be trained by Moses and would truly take to heart the ways of God and the instruction and the laws of God. And through all of these difficult and even vile circumstances, the Lord revealed what had been concealed inside of Israel. The hidden motivations became visible so that they could be dealt with. The good motivations that were hidden, they now became prominent. The bad motivations that were concealed were now revealed, and by coming out, they could be faced and dealt with. When our bad motivations are revealed, we can face them with God's help, and we can find new ways of being, of thinking, of feeling, and acting. And in this way, the Lord can bring us into the good future that he does plan for us. And that can be a source of great hope and encouragement. And with that hope and courage, we can have confidence as the scriptures teach us in Philippians 1.6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Messiah Yeshua. And as Psalm 138 verse 8 says, the Lord will fulfill his purposes for me. O Lord, your loving devotion endures forever. Do not abandon the works of your hands. That's us, folks. Let's take heart. Let's be courageous and resolute in our confidence in the Lord. We fix our eyes on Yeshua. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. He is the creative one, and we want to use our creative abilities and talents and motivations in service to him. It doesn't mean we have to just make needlepoint with scripture verses on it to hang on the wall or something like that. It means we can use all of our creativity in whatever means we can express it, but we can do it in a way that's honorable and in service to the Lord. And let's never fall in love with the very things that we create. Let's never worship what we create. That is one of the hallmarks of idolatry. And God has called us to be free from that trap. Lord, we thank you for the freedom that you give us in Messiah Yeshua, the hope and the courage that you give us, and the confidence that we can have in you, that what you've started in us, you'll bring to completion. We thank you for this in Yeshua's name. Amen. Well, thank you for joining us tonight. I hope you can join us in person for our Shabbat service on Saturday in the Beth Israel Messianic Synagogue Sanctuary. We'll have a great time tomorrow. 
We'll also be live streaming the synagogue service too. In a moment, we'll close with Aaron's blessing. But first, would you consider standing with us financially? You can go to our webpage, bethisraelnow.com slash giving for all the details. And now Aaron's blessing. Yivarechecha Adonai v'yishmarecha, Ya'er Adonai panavelecha v'yichunecha, Yisa Adonai panavelecha v'yasem lecha. Shalom. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his face to you and bring you peace in the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace.